Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. It's good to see you all here. We are continuing our series on wisdom. This is Wisdom 2.0, and this is Part 3. And this one is entitled An Unfair Generosity. Now, the first series in this Wisdom 2.0, or what I would call gospel wisdom, right? We, we talked about how you start with nothing. We looked at the conversion of Paul. Here was a man who knew what he was doing, knew where he was going, and was a self-made man. He was a person who was knowledgeable in scriptures, had prestige, had the status, and he came to a place where All that was taken away. And later on, he would say that he doesn't boast in any of those things because he would rather have Christ than any of what he did have previously. And and we talked about starting with nothing, where all the things that maybe we look to build ourselves up in, God does not need. In fact, a lot of times what God needs is us to tear those things away and start with something clean, start with less of us and more of him. Last week, we talked about how weak is the new strong, that Christ crucified is the plan, it is the way, it is the truth that God is being implemented into our lives and into this world, and how important it is to recognize that this is the way that God works, this is the character that God works in, and we want to promote this in the world that we live in. We want to promote it in our lives, that it is the good news that we rest upon. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you about toddlers and teenagers. That just makes me smile. Uh, Textbooks and tablets, pick and roll, punked, and pizza and sushi. Okay, you guys ready? Interested? I hope so. You know... Wisdom has a number of aspects as we've been looking at. There is something that I would call pre-conventional wisdom. You know, conventional is kind of standard. It is the normal. It is the traditional. But pre-conventional wisdom is that of like the toddler who just says, no, I don't want to eat dinner. I want ice cream. Right, The toddler who doesn't know that you need food to sustain your body, they just say, no, I don't want that. Or the teenager who says, no, man, I'm not going to be controlled by the man. The system is corrupt. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. You know, I'm going to have my own person. I'm going to listen to my punk rock music, my rock and roll, and I'm going to, you know, it's 
kind of an anarchy, right? It's just, I don't trust anybody, no one over 30. Um, and there's this resistance to the conventional, right? You, you have this understanding. And then there's usually a transition. The toddler learns that food is good for you. And you do need it. You cannot live. Man does not live by ice cream alone, right? It's You need more to nurture your body. And so there is a, a development from this pre-conventional, I don't care, I don't want, I just want what I want, to this conventional where I recognize, you know, I actually do need food and it's actually good for me. And so I do want to eat that food. And even the teenager has to get a job because mom and dad stop paying for gas in his car. And then he starts becoming a part of that system that he hates. And then pretty soon he wants to be a manager so he can get the other car that he wants so he can take his girlfriend out or whatever. Right. And then now he's a part of the system because, hey, the system works. Right. It's doing what it needs to do so that I can make a living. And so we see this transition a lot of times from this pre-conventional to this conventional wisdom, because the conventional is kind of what works. It's how things are done. It's the way things go. And so it's pretty common. But then there is this post-conventional wisdom that moves even for. Past just the conventional wisdom, you know, where it says, yeah, eating is good, but eating healthy is better. And so I'm not going to eat this junk food. I'm going to eat this good food, right? The conventional wisdom, it says seatbelts are good. You wear seatbelts and it saves lives. It stops injuries. And we all say that's good and that's what we need. But then the Post-conventional wisdom says, you know what, but it's not good enough. We need airbags because airbags can save more lives. And so it pushes things further and it pushes things past that, right? And so it's kind of interesting that the toddler who says, no, I don't want to eat McDonald's because I don't like food. I just want ice cream. And the post-conventional who says, no, I don't want to eat McDonald's because it's McDonald's, right? They're actually saying something similar, or it can look similar, but they're not the same. There's been a progression that has taken place. There has been an understanding of we need things that work, and then there is a way to work things better. A way to move from where is normal, what is traditional, what is kind of expected, to a place that is better. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45, Jesus says, You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, you have heard it said as referring to a tradition that they had held on to. And it was a good tradition. It was important to move to post-conventional wisdom. You kind of have to know the conventional wisdom. You have to kind of have something under your belt. But what he's doing here is he's trying to move them 
past that to a deeper understanding of what's going on there. You have heard it said, right? To love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I'm telling you that you need to love your enemies. You need to be someone who prays for those who persecute you, that you might be children of your father in heaven because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What he's doing is telling them that God cares about everybody. And what we need to do is be people who cares about everybody. That this wisdom is taking what you've heard, but it's now taking it further. And so what I want to do is press into this idea of what God is asking of us. Of what God is expecting of us, of what wisdom or gospel wisdom looks like in a world of conventional wisdom. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Jesus is telling a story, and in verse 1, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. A denarius is a day's wages. It's a fair day's wages. So I'm going to pay you a fair wage for this day. And he's saying early in the morning, let's say 6 a.m. That's early for me, right? When I work construction, that's usually when I would start. I know some of you guys are up at 3. Okay, 6 a.m. is when they start working. Okay, verse three, about nine in the morning, he went and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Now, this is a little bit silly because what do you think, right? Why do you think we've been standing here? It's kind of obvious. In fact, the next, he says, because no one has hired us, they answered, right? It's kind of like, duh, right? No one's hired us, so we're standing here. We're waiting. Now, it's important. Standing around doing nothing is really an important part of this story. No one's hired us. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages. Beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Again, here's the twist in the story. Okay, start with these guys who came in late. You guys know this story. Verse nine, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? 
Or are you envious because I am generous? Doesn't that just stab you? That just like, ah, something's there, right? Something is in that line that is poking me, that it's just making me feel a little bit, I got to find out what's going on in that sentence. I, I need to understand this more. I want to get behind what's going on. And he says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. There's something that isn't fair about this story, and that's on purpose. There's something there that is meant to poke you, that is meant to push you, that is meant to make you question, that is meant to make you think, wait a second, that isn't fair, or wait a second, what's going on here? What are you trying to communicate? Again, conventional wisdom, common, typical, traditional wisdom is comfortable. It's palatable. It's easy to digest. And here is Jesus stirring things up. He's adding something to the mix that's making it difficult for us to just accept like it is. We have to filter it through our thought process. We have to think about it a little bit more unconventional, post-conventional, divergent, subversive gospel wisdom is meant to rock the boat to show what lies beneath the surface. Not just the surface of the world around us, but the surface of what lies within us. It's meant to shake things up so that we can see where we are in relationship to where God is concerning the world we live in. Conventional wisdom can be good. It can be healthy. You know, we wear the seatbelts because they save lives. But post-conventional wisdom says we need to do more. Conventional wisdom can give, can have a lot at stake. This is the way we do things. It it holds on to what's familiar. It it tries to preserve itself. It happens with institutions. It happens with governments. It happens with uh, churches. It happens in all kinds of areas. We get used to doing something, and then we want to hold on to that way of doing things. I remember talking about, you know, textbooks to the children who are in Haiti. Do you know how much money it costs to get a textbook to the children who are in Haiti? And that textbook will last that child for that semester. And how many textbooks do they need? Do you realize that you can actually get a child a tablet cheaper than you can get them all the textbooks that they need? Right? But it's like, no, you got to give them textbooks. What if this is better? Well, but I didn't have textbooks when I was growing up. Yeah, you didn't have color TV either, right? I mean, me, okay. Maybe there's a different way of doing this, but sometimes we want to hold on to, no, this is how the system runs. This is how we do it. We need textbooks to make things right. What if tablets are better? Now, what if something else is better? I don't know. But what if that's a better way to do things? And now I can get them 10 textbooks for a fraction of a cost of what it would get them just one. Wouldn't it be beneficial to send tablets to the kids? Or does that seem like, oh, no, that's extravagant. My kid doesn't even have a tablet. Well, maybe our system is trying to preserve the money that the publishing companies get for making textbooks so that they can continue. Anyway, don't get me started on that, right? 
what if there's a better way to do it? But conventional wisdom is trying to hold on to the way things were. You've heard it said, this is how it is, this is what we want to do, and we're blind to what else might be taking place, what else might be going on, and we don't hear until someone pushes us, wakes us up, sticks us with something that makes us go, wait a second, what are you trying to tell me? What, what is this idea that you're saying here about being generous, being envious because you're generous? When we read something that strikes us as strange, it's there for a reason. It's there on purpose. This idea is supposed to make us wonder. It's supposed to make us go, hmm, something's going on here and make us wonder what's happening. It's made to think outside of the box that we're used to thinking in. Because what we're doing is following a plan and he's saying, but there's something else going on that might be better. You know, in basketball, one of the probably oldest plays in basketball is called the pick and roll. And what happens is there is a a person on offense, this guy dribbling the ball, and one of his teammates will stand in the way of the guy who's covering him so that when he goes by him, the guy is blocked. He's what's called the pick, right? And so now the guy has to stop, go around him while this guy keeps going. And so what happens is the the defender who is watching the guy, I don't know if you like basketball, if this is boring you, the defender who is watching the guy who's doing the pick now has to pick up the guy who's running by him and the guy who's running by him goes and follows him. So now this guy has two guys on him and then this guy rolls off to the side, gets the ball and can make an easy basket. That's the idea of the pick and roll, right? You're watching this guy with the ball and you're keeping him covered, not realizing you just left this guy open that there is something that is actually going to be important happening here. But if your eyes are over here, you're going to miss it. Post-conventional wisdom usually sticks us in a different way. It doesn't come down the middle. It doesn't just stay with the guy. It does a pick and roll and goes to the other side. It's the unfairness of this story that allows the point to be made. This isn't fair, but what's going on? Because most of the time, unfair to us is unfair treatment to others. People aren't getting their full wages. They are not being treated well. It's unfair because they are being discriminated against. It's unfair because the power is leveraged to help those who have power or those who have money. It's leveraged in a way that keeps them in power, keeps them with the money. You see, but the unfairness of this story is not rooted in scarcity or in lack, but in generosity. The unfairness is not that there isn't enough, it's that there is plenty. And generosity is what is being given here. It's an unfair generosity. The landowner is generous to everyone. Not just the few, 
who did what they were hired to do, but to those who came late, those who showed up, those who only worked an hour. And Matthew and the other gospels are really weaving this story throughout their book. Remember, this this isn't about economics. Jesus isn't talking about minimum wage here. He's not talking about how to run a business, just hire people at the last hour and pay them lots of money. It says in verse one, the kingdom of heaven is like. And so that's what he's talking about. And what comes before this story and what comes after this story is really important because there's momentum going on here. And Jesus is trying to bring these things to a head. And Matthew is crafting all these things that he saw and heard Jesus do to help us understand them fully. Previously, the chapter, there is a rich man who comes to Jesus and he wants to follow him, but he cannot let go of his wealth. And Jesus calls him on it and he says, you know, you're close, but you need to sell all your possessions and come and be my disciple. And he went away sorry because he had a lot of stuff. And Jesus says, man, it's hard for those with a lot to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And Peter's like, well, man, who can get saved? He goes, oh, with God, these things aren't impossible. But you see what's going on? Here's a person who thinks the accumulation, who thinks the wealth is the winning, who thinks this is the the conventional way of how you live your life. And then there is this story of a unfair generosity that God is giving to everyone, even those who don't deserve it, those who don't have enough, those who don't have what it takes, God is being generous to them. And then after this story, Jesus talks about his death and then a mom comes up to him and says, Jesus, my two sons, when you Get in power. And what is she thinking about power? She's thinking of that conventional wisdom. Power is when you start ruling, when you are in control, when you get the the burden of Rome off of us, when you set us, Israel, back into place and bring us back from exile, because that was what they were thinking. Let my two sons be a part of your cabinet, right? Let them be in your government to make these things done. And he goes, you don't know what you're asking. Can, can they take from the cup that I'm taking up? What is that? Can they partake of the sacrificial, sacrificial love that I'm going to give? And they say, oh, yeah, sure we can. They did not know what they were talking about. You see, Jesus is moving to this post-conventional wisdom, and it's not about the power. It's not about the control. It is about a sacrificial love. He is dispelling this myth of redemptive violence and power that we will change things by dominating things. And here he brings in this unfair generosity that just changes how everything was thought of at that time. And I dare say, even today, I think the majority of our world is driven by this conventional wisdom that you need to accumulate. You need to get what you can because we're living from a place of scarcity. There's only so much. 
Have you ever gone to a party and they didn't order enough food? And there's only like one pizza for 10 people and you're used to like one pizza, right? (laughs) And then you see the slices and you get one of these thin slices and then, you know, you're counting, okay, I guess this is it. This is all I get is the one slice, right? Because there's scarcity. There's not enough to go around. Now, my family being Italian, that has never happened, I don't think, right? I don't think we've ever just had enough. I usually go home with bowls full, right? Like, well, there's 10 people, but I still have a bowl and everyone else gets a plate full of whatever. But this idea of scarcity where there's just enough and you have to get your own and you have to to make sure that you have it and you have to do this to get, it's a way of life and it translates even into our spiritual lives where it becomes a matter of you've got to do enough to get the favor of God. You have to be on the right place in the right time, in the right place at the right time. You have to be doing these things to get the favor of God because you're living out of scarcity, thinking there's just enough. Jesus isn't playing that game. He's not playing the scarcity game because he is dealing with the infinite. See, how can there be a scarcity of joy? There's only so much joy to go around No, joy can continue to happen, right? I mean, I think about like my grandsons and and how much joy it was when they were born. And then I think about, you know, as they grow older and now they start talking and the joy that I get from watching them play and watching them do things. See, joy isn't limited. It's ongoing, and we need to understand that. Jesus said in Matthew nine thirteen, go and learn this, what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Learn what this means. I desire mercy. I want to give. I am generous in these things. That there is a surplus in my storehouse. There is enough pizza for everybody. There is enough love for everybody. You know, I don't know if it's still on TV, on MTV, you know, music television that doesn't have any music on it anymore, just like the History Channel that doesn't have any history on it. If you want to find out about aliens, you watch the History Channel. I don't But on MTV, they had this show that was called Punked. I don't know if they still do or not, but they have some celebrity who's getting punked. And what they do is they have their friend and the camera crew all in on this, and they're going to set them up, you know, to make them think something's going on, but it's really not. And they're videotaping the whole thing. And at the end of the show, they go, ah, we got you. And they, the joke is on you. Ha ha. It's funny. This was happening all the time. You just weren't in on it. You see, What's happening is Jesus, in a sense, is like punking the world, saying, you guys don't understand how it works. You don't understand behind the scenes that there is generosity and it is really 
really generous. And there isn't the scarcity that you're living out of. There is the abundance that God is wanting to give to us. And if we would stop living with this frame of mind that thinks, okay, I just have enough and I've just got to do what I have to do and start thinking that there is actually more being provided for than I can ever use when it comes to love, when it comes for generosity, when it comes to joy, when it comes to the things that really matter, the things that make our life tick, the things that are of real value, there is enough to go around. I've seen it in the faces of children who have nothing. I've seen joy come out of their eyes. I have seen it happen where you would not expect it because God is able to produce it without problem. And what would happen if we would embrace this idea of generosity and allow it to affect how we live and stop trying to hold on, but actually start saying, oh, look what I can do with what I have. Look at how I can give of myself, my time, my resources, my love to the people around me. You know, We all have a limited amount of time. We all have a finite matter of days and resources. But God is infinite in the things that matter. One of my granddaughters would always ask me, who's your favorite? She wanted to know who was my favorite. And I I would tell her, that's the wrong question that that question doesn't work that's like asking me what's my favorite pizza or sushi it just depends what day it is some days i really like pizza some days i really like sushi now if you don't like sushi or pizza put in your own food choices okay the point is both favorites usually the one that's my favorite is the one who's not giving me a hard time okay that's my favorite at the time But you see, there's not a limit. It's like, you're my favorite, and you're my favorite, and you're my favorite, and you came in at the last hour. The five o'clock person is my favorite. And having God say that to you when we live in the shadow of, well, I'm not as good as my sibling or I'm not as smart as these people and I didn't make gate and I don't have this and I don't have this ability. I don't have this ability. And God looking at us and saying, you're my favorite. It does something to you. It changes how you see the world and how you see yourself in it. It makes it bigger. It makes you bigger. It makes you feel Fulfilled and complete to know that God sees you as you are and says, I'm going to be generous. I will love you right here, right now. Why? Because that's how much love I have to go around. And it is the love of God that leads us to change. It is the love of God that makes me want more of myself when I see what more looks like. And it is the wisdom of God to take what is lacking, what is scarce, and lavish on it so that we say, okay, if these are the rules, I can live differently. 
If these are the rules, then fishermen can lead this revolution. If these are the rules, then everyone can be a part of it. The kingdom of heaven looks like this. Let's stop living out of the scarcity and recognize that we can live in an unfair generosity. Now, the thing about generosity is I love it when it's given to me. But when it's given to someone else, that's where there's the rub. You see, I like mercy when I need mercy. But I love justice when there needs to be justice. What's that telling me? Do you want mercy just for you and not for others? And God is saying, no, I want mercy for everyone. Do you want to be generous just when it comes to you? And God says, no, I want the five o'clock guy to have enough. I want the guy who comes in late to have all that he needs because I am unfair with my generosity. There is not a limit. I've got plenty to go around, which would mean we should have plenty to give. So this wisdom, this post-conventional, this gospel wisdom doesn't live from scarcity. It lives from the infinite. It draws from the infinite so that it can give to the needs that are there, the things that matter, the things that people need. And what they need to know is that they're loved by God and God has enough for them. That he is able to meet that need and what they need is to come to him. Let's pray. Lord, so many times as I go through these parables and these stories, I, I feel like there's more. And I feel almost, Lord, like you, you leave some of these things just floating there for us to, to grasp after and us to wrestle with. And I, I think I know why, Lord. I, I think it would betray us to have this tied up in a nice little bow and us to fully understand and turn this infinite into something that's conventional, something that we can tame, something that we can control. God, I do not understand your generosity. I do not understand your love. I do not understand it for me and I do not understand it for others, but I believe it. And I see it in my life and in the lives of those around me. And I am grateful. And I pray, God, that we would be a people that can accept this generosity, not only for ourselves, but for those around us, those who come in at the fifth hour, those who did not do the work, those who in our eyes do not seem deserving, those who seem to be less than us. May we recognize your rain falls on the just and the unjust. Your generosity is not withheld. 
And may we help people to see this love so that they can open their lives up to it so that they can turn to the God who cares and allow him to flood their lives with this love, this generosity, with the things that matter. God, I do pray for those who are here this morning who maybe have been in a place where they do not feel that they are loved by you. They, they don't feel that they have enough to warrant your approval. They feel that they are less than. I pray, Lord, that even through these words that they would see it doesn't matter where you come in, that the generosity is available to you and there is enough. May they put away the scarcity of mind that thinks that they have to earn your love, your approval, that they would get rid of the scarcity that they think they have to fight their way to survive and attain the life that they want. May they see that the life that they really need, the life that we all desire is available to us right here, right now through the God who has enough. Lord, for those who are on the outside, those who are beyond these walls, who think that we are looking down upon them, may we look up to them and offer to them what has been given freely to us. May there be no question that they are loved. May there be no question that we are all in this together. Father, may this wisdom, the wisdom of the gospel, change us and how we live in our world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May you resist the scarcity of mind that envies the generosity of God. May your life be shaken so that you can become and give and live more. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. Thank you guys for being here. God bless. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.